You're listening to The Ghost of Dog on The Voice of Dog. This is Rob McWolf, your fellow traveler, and tonight's story is the second and final part of The Sight by J.S. Hawthorne, who almost definitely still has her head firmly attached to her neck. A proud member of the Furry Historical Fiction Society, J.S.'s work was most recently in In the Light of the Dawn, available at fhfs.inc. otherworldly things can change those who have contact with them. The bite of a vampire, the pact with the devil at the crossroads, the journey into the underworld, the long look into the abyss. We do not come back from these experiences unchanged. Last time, David Stewart, private eye, sought the help of his friend Theo, otherworldly thing, to help solve a brutal murder and had an experience a headless monster who knocked Stuart unconscious as he tried to escape its clutches. Whether he has come back from this unchanged is for him and for you to discover. Please enjoy The Sight by J.S. Hawthorne, Part 2 of 2. David Stewart woke up in unfamiliar surroundings. He was lying on a bed, institutionally beige curtains hanging from rollers in the ceiling, blocking most of the room from view. A large computer monitor was set up near his head, its screensaver advising him to wash his hands frequently, attached to a variety of strange wires and tubes. A saline bag hung from an IV pole. He followed the line from the bag to where it ended in the back of his hand. That's when he realized where he was. He turned his head to examine the hospital room and nearly threw up. Theo was at his bedside in an instant, one ice-cold hand on his shoulder, telling him not to move. Stuart could see Theo's mouth working, hear the words he was speaking, but it took a moment for the meaning to reach his brain. What happened? Stuart managed. His voice sounded slurry to his own ears. Theo started to answer, then abruptly went still head snapping up to stare at something outside David's vision. He looked flat to David, like a painting rather than a living thing. In fact, he realized everything looked somewhat two-dimensional. The curtain flew open and David nearly screamed. He would have leapt off the bed if Theo had not still had his hand on the wolf's shoulder. It's like trying to push through an iron bar, and his body lacked the strength to attempt it. After a feeble spasm, he collapsed, exhausted, back against his pillow. The nurse didn't seem to have noticed either Theo's predatory frisson or Stuart's unattempt to escape as she fussed with the curtains. She was an older mink, dressed in scrubs covered in the repeating pattern of a cartoon character Stuart had always hated, and sporting a permanent customer service smile, which she turned on him. He tried to smile back and only managed a painful grimace. How are we doing today, Mr. Stewart? She asked in a chipper, practiced voice. Without waiting for an answer, she pulled out a pen light and tested his left eye. Now that you're up and about, the doctor's gonna want a CT scan. What? 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 Stewart cleared his throat and tried to ask again. Now, now, the mink said, still beaming that wide, incongruous grin. Stewart found it grating 
as much of the light she kept flashing in his eye. I'm sure your husband will explain everything. My, he looked over at Theo questioningly and found the skunk smiling down at him. It was a broad, simpering kind of smile, an expression he'd never seen on the skunk's muzzle before. The smile said he was relieved to see Stuart again. The long, sharp, gleaming fangs said not to question it. They've been so good to me, baby, Theo said with more warmth than Stuart had ever heard in his voice. The skunk turned toward the nurse. Thank you again for letting me stay with him past hours. Oh, of course. I know how it is when a loved one is in danger, honey. Trust me. He really is in good hands. Are you sure you wouldn't want to get home and get a few hours rest? You could come back after a quick nap. No problem. No, no, I couldn't possibly leave him now. Theo slipped his paw into Stewart's and gave it a squeeze. At least not until I'm sure he'll be all right. Well, okay. The mink smiled at them both, then lapsed in mindless small talk with Theo as she took Stuart's vitals. Stuart found himself staring blankly at Theo, the skunk's easy manner and quick banter like some kind of hallucination. The surreal feeling was only enhanced by the bizarrely flat aspect of the scene. Stuart felt as though he was looking at a painting of a hospital room. Eventually, the nurse departed. As soon as the door clicked closed, Theo dropped his devoted husband act, becoming once again all business. You have a concussion, Theo told him, and you lost rather a lot of blood. Some of that was my fault, I'm afraid. I wasn't too gentle getting out of that apartment. Well, that explains the headache. I think it's affected my vision. Everything's flat like a photograph. Stuart groaned as he struggled to sit up until Theo took pity and handed him the remote for the hospital bed. How long was I out? Not quite a day, I'm afraid. They were starting to get worried, actually, and that's probably why they want the CAT scan. As for things looking flat, detective, you're wearing an eye patch. Stuart blinked at him, and Theo gave him a grim smile. That thing must have scratched your face. The doctor says it's not too bad. Apparently your thick skull protected you from the worst of it. There was some damage to your cornea. You'll have to wear the patch for a few days. I feel fine, Stuart growled. He started to pull himself out of bed and found Theo pinning him down again. Totally aside from the physical and spiritual damage being attacked by revenant causes, you slammed your head hard enough to black out. You will sit there in that bed until the doctor clears you to leave. Is that understood? Stuart glared daggers at Theo, but the skunk met his gaze coolly until he relaxed back into the bed. Why do you care? Theo smoothed out his suit as he sat back down instead of answering. I told them you were on a job, but I had come with you because we had a date. You said you were only going to be a minute. He glanced up at Stuart. I may have shed a few tears at the moment one of my better performances. Anyway, I told them I was waiting for you outside when you crashed through the window and fell down a few flights of the fire escape. I climbed up a dumpster to get on the ladder, and then I was able to help you down. You lost consciousness on the car ride over, and I, your dutiful spouse, have been sitting in this chair since. Stuart was starting to feel unaccountably tired, and as Theo described the fictional account of how he'd wound up in a hospital bed, he imagined his many wounds to ache. He expected 
There was some heavy-duty painkiller in his IV that prevented him from feeling actual pain, but the memory of the cat thing's attack was still vivid. I gave a statement to the police, Theo told him. I... He trailed off for a moment, until Stuart reached over to poke him lightly. Sorry, there's a glamour, I think, a kind of magic, he explained, catching the confusion on Stuart's face, shrouding the apartment. I gave the address three times, and twice they forgot to write it down, and the third time they got it wrong, and not just a little wrong. The address they wrote down was in Pennsylvania. Stuart digested that for a long time, letting the silence stretch into minutes. Eventually, his spinning mind brought him back to the thing he simultaneously wanted and dreaded to know more about. What's a revenant? Technically a Weiderganger, though perhaps the fine distinctions between those who walk again are better left for another day, Theo sighed. When a soul is dealt a grave injustice, it can become bound to its own flesh so that even after death it cannot pass on to whatever comes next. That's a revenant. A Weiderganger is a kind of revenant created by a curse which itself has a physical component. The head, Theo nodded. They're rare, not that revenants in general are particularly common, because it takes an act of intention. There are no accidental Weiderganger. How are they made? Theo shrugged, looking discomfited. Stuart found he didn't like the skunk's expression. It worried him. There's ritual magic involved, but I don't know the specifics. Would the... Whoever did this, would they need to draw something on the wall to activate it? Like a magic symbol? A sigil, you mean? It's possible, though I'd have to do some research to be sure. Why? There was something carved on the kitchen wall behind the trash. I took a picture. Theo fetched Stuart's phone from the small pile of his personal effects, and together they pulled up the pictures Stuart had taken. The sigil was strangely out of focus, as though the subject of a sensor blur, as was the nail that Stuart had found in the trash. No doubt these things are connected, Theo said. Magic isn't, ontologically speaking, entirely real, and electronic recording doesn't always work well. It's hard to tell with certainty, but I think that this is a sigil of corruption. That's why the trash is so foul. This was causing it to decay at a highly advanced rate. The nail was some sort of trigger device. A magical contagion that spread to you when you touched it. There was a hint of accusation in the skunk's otherwise flat voice. How do we stop it? Theo shrugged. I'll have to do some research. Traditionally, a revenant is killed by decapitation. If we had the head, that might make things easier. Steward sighed. Well, no reason to stick around here. Why don't you get started on the research and I'll give you a call when they discharge me? Theo raised an eyebrow. I'm not leaving you. It's fine. I'll just say you had to go back to work or something. You misunderstand me, detective. I can't leave because the Revenant will kill you otherwise. It's tried three times already. What? The first time I caught it in the parking lot and managed to repel it, but it doesn't seem to feel pain or it won't die any more than it has already died. 
I called in a few favors, and there's some extra protection around the hospital now, as well as your doctor and most of the nurses just in case. But someone needs to be here in case it makes it past the defenses. And it has to be you, Stuart demanded. Theo shrugged. I would miss you, detective, should something unspeakable happen to you. Stuart didn't have an answer to that, and silence at last reigned until the nurse came to fetch him. CT scan revealed no abnormalities, but the doctor insisted on keeping Stuart one more night. Theo managed to talk the staff into letting him stay the night once again, but early the next morning faked a loud argument over the phone about some mythical work emergency. He vanished shortly after that, and the mink nurse told Stuart that the skunk had had a crisis with a problem client, but had already made arrangements for him to get home. Shortly before discharge, the doctor told him he could take the eye patch off. He did so with great pleasure, and was so pleased to have both eyes working again, he even consented to sit patiently while the doctor examined the injury. Stuart could, in a way, see the scar the cat's claws had left behind in the form of a trio of Faint blur lines overlaid over everything, like rain streaks on a window. It'll get better over time, the doctor assured him when he asked about it. The cornea is pretty good at healing, but I'll get you a referral to an ophthalmologist to check it out just in case. You probably shouldn't drive or anything like that until you get it checked, though, okay? Okay, he told her, frowning. She was surrounded in a faint blue outline, like someone was shining a teal flashlight at her back. Experimentally, he closed his injured eye and found that the outline vanished, only to return when it came back. She cocked her head at him. Everything all right? Uh, yeah, just readjusting after so long with just one eye. He offered her a smile, and she patted him on the shoulder before telling him he could check out as soon as one of the orderlies brought him a wheelchair. Twenty minutes later, wearing his shredded jacket over a brand new shirt and jeans that Theo had brought, the mink was wheeling him out of the hospital. Her outline was pink, shot with streaks of pastel yellow. Everyone he passed had an aura, each one a distinct color or combination of colors. Most people had a vague glow, but every now and then he passed someone surrounded by a nimbus of light so intense it was like looking at a bare light bulb, or whose aura flashed with technicolor lightning. I think this is your ride, the nurse told him as they emerged into the bright daylight. A vintage 1989 brougham, its windows illegally tinted, was parked at the curb, the passenger door already open. Steward forced a laugh. Just like our first date, he lied, climbing out of the wheelchair. Theo was always a hopeless romantic. He bid the nurse goodbye and then slipped to the dark interior of the caddy. Dark was too mild a term for the car's interior. It was a cave, vibrating with the sound of the overtuned engine like the breathing of some unseen dragon. Steward squinted at the driver's seat, but Theo was invisible, except for his strangely colorless aura, like some kind of spiritual camouflage. Detective, Theo said by way of greeting, and without waiting for a response, pulled out. Stuart couldn't understand how Theo could see out of the tinted windows, nor was he comforted by the skunk attempting to hold a conversation while weaving in and out of the invisible traffic. 
Whatever Theo wanted to talk about was lost to Stuart, his ears straining instead to make up for his lack of sight beyond the cabin. Had he not been listening so hard, he would have missed the soft thump on the car's roof. Theo, the skunk nodded. I heard it. I think our friend has decided to hitch a ride. Still clutching the handle above the door, Stuart craned his head upward, trying to track the revenant by sound. To his amazement, in the darkness, he could see a faint outline of the headless cat clinging to the roof. It wasn't an aura, not like the others he'd seen, but more like a pale sketch of the creature's silhouette. I can see it, he whispered. Out of the corner of his eye, he caught Theo staring at him, but he couldn't make out the skunk's expression in the darkness. There's something weird about it. What do you mean? I don't know. It's like, like it's stuck? On the roof. No, I mean, stuck in itself, like it's under pressure it can't release. Theo made a noise Stuart didn't understand. It's right above me, Stuart said, reaching out towards it. His paw touched the ceiling of the cavern, and he shivered. Should I open the door, try to pull it off? No, Theo said, his voice close to what Stuart would have called panic in anyone else. Hang on. Abruptly, the skunk yanked the wheel hard to the left. The tires squealed against the asphalt, and outside the car came muffled shouts and honking horns. The cat thing slid a foot to the outside, hunkered down, and loaded the roof. Its fingers were pressed to the car. Stuart imagined its claws were digging into the metal. Theo made several more sudden turns, trying to dislodge it but the Revenant did little more than shift from one side of the car to the other. Is it still there? Theo asked. Stuart nodded. Shit. Uh, pull over, Stuart said. I'll make a run for it, and you can get it when it jumps down to chase me. Theo snorted. Even if I were confident I could get it? The sun is out. What does that have to do with anything? He ignored the question. We can't keep this up much longer. We need a plan. Blood. Theo glanced at him. Excuse me? Neither of us smelled blood, inside or outside of the apartment, right? Something happened to all the blood, from the victim, from the thing, he pointed up at the roof, from everything. Who needs blood like that? I can think of a few things, Theo muttered, but I see what you're getting at. Things that feed on blood aren't likely to suck it off a garbage-spewed sidewalk. So not consuming blood, but maybe to power something? Theo considered. Yes, theoretically. There's energy stored in blood, both literally and metaphysically. You couldn't power anything pleasant with it. What about birthdays? Theo turned to stare at Stuart until a honk drew his attention back to the road. He hooked to left to a chorus of more cursing bystanders. They'd turned so many times that Stuart had no idea where in the city they could be, though he was sure they hadn't left for one of the other burrows. The deer had the same birthday as me. It's the only reason I can think I'd be hired for this job. Whoever set this up wanted another victim after her. Probably there was a victim before, too. I guessed, Theo said dubiously. Were you born in May? My blood would be most unsuitable, Theo said dryly. There was a pause. Did you say May? May 1st? Yeah, why? 
That's your nurse's birthday. The mink. Theo pulled a U-turn at speed, his car skidding in a semicircle. There was a soft thump as the tires briefly mounted the curb. In response to Stuart's incredulous look, he added, I borrowed her driver's license to have a friend guard her house. You think she's next, then? I think we should find out. Theo turned, tires squealing. Stuart heard a crash and a muffled shouting behind them. They reached the Mink's apartment building in the Upper East Side in record time, a wake of near misses and furious motorists marking their pass. Stuart began to feel glad he couldn't see out of the tinted windows. He didn't think he wanted to know how near some of their misses were. There it is, Theo said, pointing toward a building invisible to Stuart. Hang on. What do you mean, hang on? Stuart asked. Instead of answering, Theo floored the accelerator. Theo? Theo, slow down, Stuart said, panic rising. He clawed at the grab handle, scrabbling his feet against the floor in a futile effort to put as much distance between himself and the unseen apartment building as he could. There was a terrible squeal of metal against concrete as the caddy went over the curb, followed by an apocalyptic crash. Stuart slammed into the seatbelt hard enough to drive the air from his lungs. Theo reached over and wrenched the seatbelt latch free. Come on, he said, shoving his door open without waiting for Stuart. Still gasping for air, Stuart followed. The car had gone clean through the apartment wall and sat now in the ruins of a slightly outdated living room. The apartment's occupants, a middle-aged couple, were huddled against the far wall, their expressions a mix of anger and panic. You didn't see it. Theo told them, and Stuart could see the effect his words had on their auras. Little cracks had begun to form in the vague halos, the smallest hairline fractures that filled with the non-color of Theo's own aura. A large cat got out of the car, drunk, and ran out the back. The couple nodded vaguely, then rushed out the front door, yelling about the feline who'd crashed into their home. What? Are you? Stuart asked. He was clutching his chest where he had slammed into the seatbelt. Theo shot him a glance over his shoulder. Time for that later. Are you all right? Bruised, I think. I can hurt later. Nothing's broken, though. Theo nodded and looked up. Her apartment is on the third floor. How sure are you that it's her? Stuart asked. There's eight million people. Surely more than three of us were born in May. But how many people have you had contact with who share your birthday? Theo pointed out. And the miscreant took care to make sure you were there to be killed by the Revenant. Magic, for good or bad, can spread by touch, like with the nail. Each victim passing on the curse is necessary to whatever it is he's doing, I'm sure of it. And if he's not there, then maybe we'll have a lead. But either way, we can't stay here much longer. Theo turned on his heel and led the way to the lobby. There was a large group of people gathered near the front door, several on phones and speaking to emergency services, the rest shouting over each other as they tried to piece together what had happened. Theo and Stuart skirted the crowd in the elevators and slipped into the stairwell. By the second floor, Stuart could sense something was wrong on the floor above. It was like a pressure on his vision, painful to look at. He closed his eye. It helped a little.
Before they had climbed to the third floor, they heard the lobby door open and close. As one, they looked down, then at each other. The Revenant? Theo asked. Stuart sighed and opened his eye to look. There was no mistaking the strange aura, visible even through several flights of stairs. The creature was crawling on all fours up the stairs and would be upon them in a moment, he told Theo. You go, Theo told him, walking down the landing between the second and third floors. I'll hold it off. If you defeat the sorcerer who summoned it, that should be sufficient to release the revelant. Edit. If you defeat the sorcerer who summoned it, that should be sufficient to release the revenant. I can help, Stuart said. He took one step down before Theo froze him in place with his icy blue stare. There was no mistaking the glow in his eyes and the menacing power behind it. Theo was a predator. There was no hiding that from Stuart's sight anymore, even as much as the wolf wished to deny it. I can't kill it, David, the skunk told him. I can only hold it here, and only for a while. Find what you're looking for in the apartment, and if it's not there, run. I'll find you tonight. Stuart hesitated just long enough to see the Revenant's hand emerge from below, claws extended. They gouged out strips of the concrete as the creature pulled itself forward. He turned and ran for the third floor door. Unlike the deer's apartment, there was no mistaking the menace and corruption as soon as he opened the door. Thick green veins of energy pulsed along the walls and floor, while the feeling of pressure increased to the point that Theo had to shield his eye with an arm. Both energy and pressure were emanating from an open door at the end of the hall. Behind him, he heard a crash and the sounds of combat as Theo and the Vidargangar fought. Against his better judgment, Stuart pressed forward. The mink's apartment was laid out very similarly to the deer's, though with abstract paintings and bookshelves instead of photographs. It had a vaguely disused air as well, as though the nurse did not make it home very often. She was not there now, at least as far as Stuart could see, either. A mouse, fairly nondescript, wearing a faded t-shirt and old blue jeans, was kneeling with her back to Stuart as she carved something into the wall with an old nail. At her side was a bucket. Stuart couldn't see into it, but he could see the aura of power that radiated out from it, and he could smell the noxious stench of old blood. Mr. Stuart, the mouse said without turning around. She had no aura. Nothing like the revenant whose aura felt blocked or Theo, whose energies were a kind of camouflage, Hers was a void, the absence of the halo he'd come to expect when he looked at people. You're not who I expected. You thought the man who had hired you? She asked. She didn't wait for him to respond, but continued to carve at the wall. It was the same sort of sigil he'd seen in the deer's apartment. A tool, like the tool that's currently killing your skunk friend. The deer saw that one like you saw your client. She was mocking him, he could tell and soon like you'll be, to help me get another soul for my collection. The mouse stood, letting the nail drop into the bucket, and turned to face him. If he'd passed her on the street, he wouldn't have known there was anything strange about her, except the thick coating of blood on her fingers. She had no presence, no sense of existing. It was like she wasn't totally there anymore. Why? he asked. She shrugged. Because I could because it gave me power and strength, because I wanted to. 
And most importantly, she grinned at him, revealing a mouthful of shark's fangs. Because you can't stop me. She flung her hands outward as though flicking the blood at him. He saw the ghostly afterimages of whips of energy like the veins in the hallway flying outwards, and he dove for cover. The mouse hadn't been expecting that, to judge by her howl of anger. She swung out again, and he ducked under the energy, which crashed into the bookshelf, turning it to splinters. He didn't want to know what would happen if she hit him. He eyed her warily as she squared up, preparing to attack again. Something glimmered just past her in the hallway. He waited for her next attack, then dove under the strike, rushing down the hall and winding up in the mink's bedroom. It looked so much like the deer's that he found himself frozen, certain for a moment that he'd been transported back to the moment before the revenant had first attacked him, but the bed was still clean, if not made, and no headless creatures waited to drag him to a fate worse than death. The bed was empty. Next to it was a large antique trunk, big enough for a person to fit inside. A ghostly light shone pale and sick through the wood. You can't hide from me, David, the mouse called. Every instinct told him not to touch the trunk, to climb out the window and escape, but he found himself opening the lid. You can't hide from us. Your skunk is in a bad way, David. Inside the trunk was a pile of heads. He saw the cats there on top of the pile and the deer next to it. Their mouths moved, but no sound came out, and their pleading eyes stared at him. Something heavy and hot slammed into his back, and he flew through space to hit the opposite wall. Stay away from that! The mouse snarled from the doorway. Next to her was the revenant, dragging Theo by the scruff of his neck. The skunk was still as the grave. But his eyes followed Stuart as he cautiously picked himself up from the corner in which he'd fallen. The revenant dropped Theo, and the mouse knelt down to feel his neck. And there's no pulse. A pity I was going to have you kill him once I took your head. She grinned at him, revealing those shark teeth again. Someone else's teeth, he realized, another thing she had stolen. I'm going to enjoy this. Go get me my detective, she told the cat thing. The Vidargonger launched itself towards Stuart, who ducked underneath it. He felt its claws slash at his back, felt the blood welling up, but managed to get his hands into the chest and pull out the cat's head. The mouse screamed in rage, but Stuart was beyond noticing her. This close, he could see it, the strange connection between the head and the revenant. Gingerly, as reverently and respectively as he could, he reached for that connection and pulled. There was a sound like a great sucking wound, and abruptly, the light surrounding and connecting the Vidargankar and the head winked out. Revenant collapsed to the ground, and it and its head began to decompose rapidly. Stuart dropped it hastily and took a step back, nearly tripping over the trunk. No! The mouse screamed. She raised her hands to strike out at him, and Theo shot to his feet, almost too fast to see. The camouflage non-color of his aura dropped for just a second to reveal a halo of blood-red light as his hand wrapped around the mouse's throat and he lifted her off the ground. Stuart paid them no attention. He knelt in front of the crate and, with trepidation, reached in. 
feeling for the connection between the heads and their lost bodies. One by one, he pulled them free, until no more light came from the trunk, and the room was thick with the smell of decomposition. He turned towards Theo, still holding the struggling mouse up in the air. I will take care of her, Theo said, his voice full of dark menace. Stuart shivered, the mouse shuddered. And then I'll meet you at my home this evening. Stuart glanced at the trunk, at the skeletal remains of the cat, and without a word, walked out of the apartment. A new coat, detective. Stuart sat at Theo's ornate dining room table, a cup of coffee on a neat little coaster in front of him, rapidly cooling. The old one was ruined, he told Theo, tugging at the sleeves of the puffy jacket. And after this morning, I hadn't really wanted to be alone. So you went shopping? Stuart nodded. What happened to the mouse? She won't bother anyone anymore. The police are clueless as to what actually happened to. I'll see to it the nurse, her name is Denise, by the way, is able to replace her apartment with minimal hassle. Steward stirred the coffee with the silver spoon Theo had provided him. What are you? Theo smiled, showing off his long canines. I'm your consultant on the weird and strange cases you keep finding, detective. Though I feel I should start charging you for my time. What will you do now? Steward set the spoon down and stared into his coffee for a long time. I think whatever happened when the cat slashed me, it opened up something in me. I can see things now. Unusual, but not unheard of. It seems like the city needs someone who specializes in solving the weird things that happen in it. I think I might start trying to take cases like that. Theo leaned back in the tall chair in which he sat, watching Steward steadily. The wolf could see the camouflage light around him, but also thought he could see just the faintest glimmer of the aura that lay underneath. I could use someone to back me up, he told the skunk. Theo smiled again. I will consider it. But I think you will find yourself more able than you realize, detective. And you will find my door always open for you. This was the second and final part of The Sight by J.S. Hawthorne. Read for you by Rob McWolf, Werewolf Hitchhiker. As always, you can find more stories on the web with thevoice.dog or find the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the ghost of dogs.